talking so fast you can run his podcast at point five. Results are conclusive, just know that he argues both sides. His GM is a shadow of his normal self. Doppelganger stealth. Hello and welcome to Season 2, Episode 23 of the Shadow of the GM Podcast. Today I'm going to do something a little bit different. Um, it maybe should belong on my actual play episode, but I'm going to put it on this one to kind of not break up the Nordland episodes as they come out. Um, and this is going to be a playthrough of a game of Melee, Fantasy Trip Melee, by Steve Jackson Games that I did the other day. I have got a connected blog post about it on my blog, uh, but some people mentioned about doing it as an episode on here, so I thought I'd kind of do both and you can link. And whether you prefer hearing me talk about it or read it off the blog, it's up to you. The blog does have pictures if it helps because it is a very tactical game based on a board and moving around so it probably will help to have a look at the pictures if you can do that but i felt especially for those who maybe have difficulty reading from screen if screen readers don't work and the blood etc might be quite good to have the read through as well so anyway without any further ado let's get on with talking about the game So to get started, I'm going to do a little bit of, I guess, a background on what this was about. Um, there was an episode of the Red Caps podcast, which I'll um, sort of suggest you check out. I'll try and put a link into my show notes around it, uh, where he did a solo play of the this same game rule, so the Fantasy Trip Melee by Steve Jackson Games. Those of you who don't know the game, it was originally published in 1977 by Meta Gaming, but it was written by Steve Jackson of GURPS fame. Um, due to licensing issues, um, basically Steve for a long time didn't have the rights to republish uh, Melee and in fact Wizard and Into Labyrinth, which are like an RPG spin-off from it uh, for quite some time, but recently has been able to. He did, a, I think it was 2019 campaign to basically re-release them from his own sort of publishing. Um, so it's definitely worth checking them out. If you want to know a bit more about them, you can sort of think of them as an OSR version of GURPS for fantasy gaming. Although some of the rules, when you kind of dig into it, are quite substantially different to how GURPS runs or modern GURPS anyway. Um, and there is definitely a split in the community between those who like the fantasy trip and those who like GURPS. There are a few of us, and I know a couple at least, who actually do play both, but there's a few who kind of choose one over the other and kind of stick with those sort of things. Um, with respect to my playthrough, I decided initially to stick with just Melee. Now, Melee is available from Steve Jackson Games for free. Again, I might put a link in my show notes, but you can find it on the Steve Jackson Games Warehouse 23 website as a free download for the PDF versions. Mostly because I wanted to get grips with the combat system before I moved on to the magic rules and wizard then taking into the full kind of skill-based talent system that they use in the fantasy, in, sorry, Into the Labyrinth, which is, like I said, the RPG version as a whole book. Um, if you ever look at it, Into the Labyrinth, Fantasy Trip is actually a full game in itself. You don't need these other products to play it. It's just something I have. I quite enjoy having the different products and actually using those to kind of do this sort of arena-style combat. Um, melee is kind of set up by its premises if it was like an arena style combat as if you are in an arena fighting um, other either other fighters sometimes some like animals like bears and wolves and things or against creatures like giants and things which are in there as well or some fantasy elements including like giant snakes giants um, gargoyles and things that were in the core rules as well which are good fun to kind of mess around with if you want to bring some fantasy elements into it um, as I said melee doesn't have any magic rules um, so yeah that's kind of the main thing one thing I almost mentioned is I used Foundry VTT to run this, and I was using version 9 of Foundry at the time. 
and there was the ability to use PDF Foundry to make these very simplified kind of PDF sheets from the simple um, into labyrinth sheets that I had. That functionality has actually gone as a version 10 because it's now got an unbuilt PDF reader which doesn't let me do character sheets. So I am still using the GURPS game aid which I used to run it and basically just sort of tweaking how the stats work and they are a little bit through the system to basically store the information as I play it and have them on the board and kind of keep track of hit points and things. But because the game is fairly simpler in how it runs, you don't need the full GURPS, GURPS game aid sort of functionality really to run it. It doesn't use the same sort of level of variables in it. But anyway, that's just kind of a quick caveat I want to put on it. Um, yeah, so I guess that's it. So with that, that out of the way now, I guess we shall get on to how the game is running and I'll start with turn one and get you straight into the action. So turn one begins with our two combatants, Ragnar the Impetuous and Flavius, standing facing each other's on opposite ends of the melee board. If you have a look on the blog, you'll be able to see this. Initiative in uh, melee fantasy trip is determined by rolling 1d6 for each fighter, with the highest being the one who wins. On the first round, Flavius won initiative by rolling a 3, as opposed to Ragnar's 1, and he chose to let Ragnar move first. Ragnar calculated the distance that if he ran towards Flavius, he wouldn't reach him, but might leave himself open to attack from his opponent by charging if he moved his full movement allowance. In the fantasy trip, if you move your full move as a move action, you can't fight, but if you do a charge attack, you move up to half your distance and still make an attack. So this meant he chose to move only half his distance, so did effectively a charge attack, even though he wasn't charging at the, all the way up to the enemy fighter, to only move half his movement, but still keep it attack free if needed. Flavius reasoned by some of the thing that he could take his full move and he wouldn't quite reach Ragnar and felt that was a safe kind of move to make and so basically he moved his full movement across the board sort of getting within two hexes on the board of Ragnar. Again you can see the map if you want to. So the state of play was that there were two hexes away from each other face to face. Unfortunately myself and by extension in this game Flavius himself had forgotten that Ragnar was carrying a spear. Um, I did remember at the combat time at this point in time and this meant that Ragnar actually had the option to do a jab attack. So with spears in melee you've got a reach of two effectively. You can sort of attack over two different hexes and you can do what's called a jab attack as long as no one's between you and the opponent and then still attack. So as Ragnar did that charge attack and a full move he was actually free to attack. Again, with melee, it's very similar to GURPS. You basically roll 3d6 and you want to get under the level it needed to hit. In this case, it doesn't go off a of skill, it just goes off direct decks. Um, it's what's called adjusted decks in melee. So basically, you start off with a base deck score when you build your character. But things like armor or certain situations of combat effectively reduce your decks down to your adjusted decks. Um, so Ragnar had an adjusted deck score of 11 and he rolled a 10, so he scored a hit directly on Flavius. Rolling damage from the spear, which is 1d6 plus 1, he rolled a 2 and only did 3 damage. Now unfortunately for him, Flavius has an armour of 5, so effectively his spear bounced off the shield of Flavius and sort of off his armour plating and did him no damage. So Flavius kind of had a lucky escape in that particular instance, kind of left himself open to an attack there, but managed to survive it thanks to his armour. Turn two then, both fighters rolled initiative again, and this time rolled exactly the same, so it was a three and a one again. But this time Flavius chose to move first, because he didn't want Ragnar, who he knew was faster, moving away and basically kind of keeping him at distance with a spear. So he chose a charge attack again and shifted one hex onto Ragnar, and basically forcing him to be engaged. The way it works in melee, if you get within a hex of an opponent, you effectively engage them, which means it limits the combat actions they can take. They can't like move the full movement around you, etc. Um, similar if you played some of the Dungeons Dragons versions, things a bit like an attack of opportunity, except you don't provoke an attack, you just can't do those certain maneuvers. Um, so again, it means that you can actually effectively pin your opponents down by getting close enough to fight them. So that's what he chose to do. Ragnar therefore chose option J, which is a shift in attack, and took a sidestep. Basically moving around Rag uh, Flavius a little bit, not actually able to get into position to get any sort of bonus, but kind of thinking it was a potential if he moved round, then Flavius had to change his facing at some sort of maneuver next time, or else there was a risk of uh, Ragnar getting behind him and basically getting a bonus to attack him. So the final position kind of was that Ragnar was to the side of Flavius, sort of to his, because it's hex-based, he was basically one hex off his front facing, sort of jabbing him with his spear or going to attempt to. 
Because of the actions both players took this turn, both were actually free to attack. Now, the way it works in melee is that your attack sequence is not based on initiative roll. It's based on adjusted, adjusted dexterity. So whoever has the highest adjusted dex goes first. There is also a rule, actually, if you're attacking from range, that the person with the spear, if someone's moving in to attack them and they've got a spear, the spears always go first. So polar weapons basically always go first if people are charging towards you. Um, Ragnar had the highest dex in this case of 11, so he could attack first. Um, Someone has actually mentioned, yeah, that's a picture that went in, that basically, yeah, you should have gone first anyway, but it didn't matter in this particular situation, it made no difference because Ragnar went first anyway. Ragnar needed, uh, rolled an 8, which was lower than his 11 to hit, so he rolled a 7. Uh, so he rolled his damage, this time he rolled a 6, so the plus 2, um, so the plus 1 made it 7, so 2 hits got through onto Flavius. So it was first blood to Ragnar. Uh, one of the things I should have pointed out basically was that, again, someone's pointed out to me post in the game that. It's a bit of a weird ambiguity in the rules, but it's worth noting that if you move to attack someone with a pole arm, or they move towards you by moving at least one hex, so the rules are that a charge attack in melee is any move where you move from an unadjacent hex into an adjacent hex to attack someone. So even if you only move or sort of shift one hex to attack them, um, if it's coming out of disengage to engage, which this was from Flavius's point of view, he was technically charging Ragnar, which means you get a plus two to hit. Now, Ragnar actually rolled to hit anyway, so it didn't really matter. It made no difference to the outcome of this. Um, and he was injured. And basically, there we go, it said first blood to Ragnar, two points of damage. Flavius, however, didn't want to rest in his laurel, so he swiftly rolled a counter-attack. He needed an eight or less to hit, and amazingly, he managed to rake a seven, which is quite good on 3d6. Um, his short sword was a lot more deadly than Ragnar's, and he rolled six for his total damage, with four hits getting through, because Ragnar's other armor only absorbs two. Um, I should say at this point, because I hadn't mentioned it earlier, the way armor works in uh, melee is a bit like in GURPS, so basically, armor reduces the number of hits you take, it basically absorbs damage, which again, like I said, is very similar to GURPS in that sense. So at the end of round one, both had now, round two, sorry, both had now injured each other at the end of that turn. We move on now to turn three. So staying true to his lucky form, Flavius rolled a five and one initiative again, Ragnar rolling a two, which was better than last time, but not enough to beat him. And again, he let Ragnar move first. Uh, Ragnar, living up to his impetuous name, he is Ragnar the Impetuous, as the sort of character is named in the rules for this game. Uh, he decided to select what's known as option O, which was to basically try and do hand-to-hand -hand combat with Flavius. He basically decided that his spear wasn't doing the job good enough. Um, basically, it's not well enough strength-wise to really get through Flavius' armour very well. And he knew that if he manages to jump into hand-to-hand -hand combat with Flavius and draw his dagger, there's a chance he will be able to knock the shield out of Flavius' hand and therefore have a better chance with the dagger of actually injuring him. The dagger does more damage in hand-to-hand -hand at range um, and also if you don't have your shield bonus it takes away some of the damage absorption so he reckoned that was probably his best bet at taking Flavius down. Flavius however wasn't keen to get into close combat and basically chose to stand in attack. <clears throat> now the way it works in melee is that uh, again you go through the sort of initiative order and Ragnar had his attack first so when it moves to the attack phase as you want to go into hand-to-hand -hand, it's at that point that Ragnar moves into the hex occupied by Flavius and then basically Ragnar throws down his spear and launches himself at Flavius with his bare hands in this particular case because Flavius didn't agree to go into hand-to-hand -hand combat the only way that you can do that as an opponent is if you can either back your opponent into a corner where they can't back off when you attack them or to be faster movement wise and as Flavius is weighed down by the armor he was slower so Ragnar was able to engage in hand-to-hand -hand combat now what you then do is you roll the d6 to determine what happens now I won't go into the various levels of success but basically one is the best you can roll for getting into hand-to-hand -hand combat and six is the worst and unfortunately for Ragnar his result was a this meant that not only did he not manage to engage Flavius in hand-to-hand -hand combat, but Flavius was able to basically step back and make a free attack against Ragnar. Uh, as it's pointed out later on, I actually did this wrong. In theory, it's just a free hit and you automatically roll damage, but I got this wrong and actually made Flavius roll, in which case he actually missed by rolling 11. 
um, I needed an HOS to hit, so he missed. So if you were to retcon this, you might have rolled damage for it, but as it was, I didn't. So it was a slight mistake on my part. I should have just done direct damage to Ragnar, but he didn't. So in this particular case, for some reason, he was a bit off-put for some reason and missed Ragnar with his weapon. So next, Flavius never gets his normal regular attack because he can make two attacks in this situation because the attack effectively provoked by the failed hand-to-hand -hand thing doesn't affect it. So he basically grinned with pleasure at the currently disarmed Ragnar because he's throwing his spear on the ground and swung his sword down with full force. Unfortunately for poor Flavius, the gods of horror are very fickle and he rolled an 18 on 3d6, which is a massive critical failure in which the result of melee says that on an 18, your weapon is actually destroyed. You basically hit it so hard on something, you damage it and the sword actually broke. So there was Flavius left there standing with his broken sword hilt in his hand and Ragnar standing there with no weapons in his hand. So things were about to get very interesting indeed. Turn four. Ragnar went into this round, but it was kind of moot because both fighters decided to actually draw their daggers at this point. Basically, none of them have any weapons in hand. It looks like hand-to-hand -hand combat's going to become a very likely situation here, so they basically both draw daggers ready to face off. Um, Flavius won initiative in the next round and elected to let Ragnar move first, so Ragnar, again, sensing his chance to take advantage, again opted for option O, which was to uh, engage in hand-to-hand -hand combat. Flavius chose to stand and fight, trying to hit him with a dagger, hoping that he'd fail his hand-to-hand -hand roll again. As it was, when Ragnar rolled his 1d6 CV entered into hand-to-hand -hand combat, he actually rolled a 1 now, which was the best. We swung from the worst result last round to the best result this time, um, which meant that with the loss of his sword, basically Flavius could move in close enough and knock the shield from Flavius's hand. So now Flavius is just wearing his armour and not his shield and bring his dagger to bear down as they both enter combat. So now we move on to rolling to hit. Now the way it works in melee is that when you're in hand to hand, you basically, you're rolling around with your opponent on the ground, you're basically rolling around, tumbling on the ground, trying to fight each other. Now, as it happens, that means that there's a plus four bonus to fighting someone who's on the ground and that applies to both of you. So basically both characters get a plus four to their adjusted decks to hit. This meant that Ragnar, that only did 11 to hit, now he did a 15 to hit on a 3d6, which is actually quite easy to roll. Um, and he rolled an 11 on his first attack and hit. Now, daggers, as I said before, in hand-to-hand -hand are a lot more deadly. They're 1d6 minus 1 normally, but 1d6 plus 2 in hand-to-hand, because -hand, you're getting in close and dirty and shoving it between gaps and armour. And he actually rolled a 7, of which four of those hits managed to come through, because Flavius, not having the shield anymore, didn't have the extra points of absorption to the damage that he would normally have. Flavius was never one to... Um, sort of roll over that fight however so he now needed to roll to hit as well um, and he had needed a 13 to hit due to again the plus four but he had a minus one dex penalty at this point in time uh, sorry didn't have his minus one dex penalty as well so basically his effective to hit bonus went up by five he got an extra plus one because the shield was normally affecting his dex and he gets an extra plus four because he's on the ground fighting with somebody else on the ground he rolled a 12 which was another hit and he got four hits onto ragnar which two absorbed by his damage so at this point in time, they're kind of on the ground tussling, both are now injured, ended with Flavius on six hit points and Ragnar on five, so still fairly close and both of them rolling on the ground, frantically stabbing at each other. So we begin turn six with the combatants locked in hand-to-hand -hand combat. Because of this, there was no point really doing initiative. Um, it does say in the rulebook, it sort of implies you can do this because the combat example in melee in the book actually shows you them just not bothering with initiative in that round because effectively they're both doing the same thing. So instead we went straight to the close and dirty knife fighting. As always, Ragnar went first with adjusted decks of 11 versus Flavius's 9, which is still up higher, still needing 15 or less on 3d6. Ragnar rolled a 7 and basically hit, plunging his dagger into Flavius. The damage roll was a massive 8, which meant that 5 hits actually got through. Now, with 
the rules in melee, if you do five hits or more, basically your opponent gets a minus two to dex. But also if you're on less than three hit points, three hit points or less, you also get another minus three, which meant that that meant poor Flavius was on a minus five to his dex for the rest of the round. Now this is important because this means that now Flavius is going to take it, make it a lot harder for him to hit. It means he's slower, which doesn't really affect him in this fight. There's only two of them and he's already slower than Ragnar anyway. But basically things are not looking good for the poor Roman. He was weakened now, going to be harder for him to hit given the blood loss and the pain. And there he was with Ragnar bearing down on top of him, sort of holding him tight, stabbing him. So therefore, poor Flavius needed to roll an 8 or less to hit, which is actually roughly about a 25% chance to hit. So bear that in mind for these games, although it's an 8 sounds quite low, in actual fact, 1 in 4 times you're still going to hit. So it wasn't unsurmountable, and he knew this might be his last chance against Ragnar. Ragnar was pretty much guaranteed probably hit him next turn and do some damage, and that might finish him off. Um, at this point, what forces aligned, who can say? But the 3d6 were rolled, and the result was a 4. Now in melee, um, a 5 is an automatic hit, and so is a 3 and a 4, which is the best you can get. The advantage being that a 3 gives you triple damage, and a 4 gives you double damage. So Flavius's 4 was enough to give him double damage in this roll. So again, the dice was rolled, the number tumbled over the table at last, landing on a 6. 8 points of damage, the maximum he could roll with a dagger, double to 16 hits. Reduced by 2 for Ragnar's armour, but 14 hits got through. So with a roar, Flavius tore his dagger into Ragnar, and the crowd went wild as the Romans stood up victorious over his vanquished foe. So I guess after this playthrough, what kind of conclusions could I draw, or what kind of thoughts did I have around the system? Well, as a long-time GURPS player, I have my moments when I can and can't decide between whether to embrace the fantasy trip and kind of just get into playing that to do some sort of OSR gaming and use into Labyrinth, or if I should kind of simply hack the GURPS kit basically to simulate the same thing, and I kind of bounce between the two quite a lot. Um, I still can't say after playing this game if I've kind of fully made up my mind, but I can say that this little combat encounter actually made for an amazingly fun sort of solo session. I had really good fun. Um, much like GURPS, the things I enjoy about the GURPS and indeed the fancy trip kind of combat stuff is the granularity behind the combat manoeuvres. I know it's not everyone's cup of tea, but to me, when I'm trying to get immersed into it, it's really kind of personal to be making decisions about you know moving standing up taking these moves you know where you're hitting i mean gurps even there's like hit locations and things and it kind of in my mind really helps cement the what's happening i guess in the combat because it becomes so kind of very very granular in what you're doing and how you're sort of choosing them as maneuvers and how the kind of roles relate um i guess to me the one thing that i can't decide around between gurps and the fancy trip is that although some people don't like the active defense you have in GURPS where you roll a parry and you roll a block to see what happens again I quite like the fact that the players and indeed when you're doing a solo play you decide what defense the player is going to get and that kind of to me really adds to that description because you can just narrate it if you want to if you're rolling like say you're playing D&D &D and you roll armor class and they hit do you say oh it bounced off the shield it bounced off the armor but when you're playing some of these games the actual outcome and what they're choosing to do tells you exactly what happens so you kind of don't have to make it up it's kind of implied by what you're doing and you know this is again just me I quite enjoy that kind of really personal touch behind it um so yeah i kind of like really like it so it kind of hits for me the sweet spots of both these games do um i guess the point of view from the fancy trip over gurps what i do like a little bit is that it is a little bit faster in the way it plays i feel because you don't have the active defense rules so it does mean you get hit more often which is obviously a situation i mean one thing to do kind of negate the hitting is the fact that they just a deck system works a bit different i'll get onto that in a second but generally speaking because you just roll to hit and you're either hit or miss it speeds up that little aspect behind it and the armor only therefore affects damage it doesn't affect things like blocking and you know you don't get the dodge and parry roll kind of the same way on the flip side the adjusted deck system makes it a little bit more complicated 
In GURPS, your decks can be, and therefore your ability to dodge and parry, etc., can be modified by things such as how much weight you're carrying so the armor does affect it, whereas it's much more simplified in, uh, in the fantasy trip. So basically, it's just a set penalty that you get for your armor and your shields, etc., which bring it down. And again, that also affects your movement allowance, how fast, whereas GURPS, I guess, takes it more traditional style for some of the later D&D games where all stuff adds to your encumbrance and that affects therefore you move and etc all the rest of it. It's worth noting that in GURPS your block and parry skills aren't affected so much by your encumbrance it's just your dodging so how good you are with a sword means you can be very hard to hit if you can parry blows. There are limits you can only block once you can only parry once without a penalty in GURPS whereas you can dodge as many times and dodge is affected by decks. I won't get into GURPS it gets complicated a little bit. It's not really complicated it just takes a bit of explaining I guess around it and you get used to the nuances when you've played it a few times. Um, whereas Avengers of Trip like I said really streamlines it also Death is a lot quicker in the fantasy trip. Basically, once you're on minus one, you're dead. Zero means you're on the ground, kind of helpless. Minus one or lower is dead. Whereas in GURPS, if you're using those rules, you can choose to play it the same way, to be fair. But if you choose a sort of set rules, basically, you have to be on negative hit points. You start making rules to stay conscious or you can still take actions. It's only when you're on negative hit points of your health yeah, basically hit points essentially you roll health to see whether you survive or you die etc so it's like variances in that uh, the magic system again is also kind of simplified but i'll talk about that in later episodes and so is the range system and stuff uh, which again i didn't mention um a couple of things i did notice that about the rules it's the same style of osr i guess in a way that the book and if i even checked into labyrinth and couldn't find a, an answer on this one was that it doesn't tell you in initiative what happens if you both roll the same number. So say you both roll a three for initiative, it doesn't say is that therefore simultaneous or do you roll off again to see who goes first. One of my colleagues who plays a lot of it did say that they choose to do it where you roll off again because in combat when it goes off adjusted decks as to who goes first you were supposed to use initiative as a way of basically breaking that tie and seeing who goes first so therefore you need to break that tie in the dice roll by rolling again or else you won't have that number to use later on so it did kind of make sense um, i also felt the rules weren't terribly clear on hand to hand so when you move into hand to hand combat basically when you roll that d6 system to do it it does say as one of the options that you basically disarm your opponent your opponent drops their sword and their shield as you jump in and attack them and you're in hand to hand and they're not armed and then the option to do the same but draw a dagger or not actually have a chance to draw the dagger and be barehanded and stuff it's a bit granular again how that works one d6 it's fairly quick but there was a lot of breakdown into what happens there what it doesn't apply is there's an option where basically you can both choose to go into hand to hand combat and it doesn't specify there about what happens to the weapons and shields it's implied as far as i can tell that because you need your hands to fight in hand-to-hand -hand combat that basically you both throw your shields and other weapons down and draw daggers or like go bare hand and pull draggers next round out to fight basically but it, it kind of doesn't specify that in the rules so i thought that was an issue that kind of needed clarifying overall the main thing i'd say about melee is that i really really loved playing it and i would actually recommend anyone to try it out the pdf version i said is free from steve jackson games i will try and put a link in the show notes for you to go and check out um i was playing it on foundry which is just the way i find of doing it because i have kids and dogs that try and eat things like counters and stuff it was easier for me just to kind of run it on the sort of uh, virtual tabletop and as i said earlier i was using a, a program that isn't really going to work so well anymore but you can basically hack it with a gurps game aid if you want to and do the damage and stuff through there just to help you kind of calculate things a bit quicker so really hopefully that was useful to all of you and i shall summarize a little bit more in a minute so that was a really quick episode hopefully it was useful to any of you out there who are interested either in the game or just curious to hear about some solo plays in general uh, where i go next with that not really entirely sure i am tempted to do another session based on using a character with ranged weapons one thing i didn't have this time around was someone with a ranged weapon to know with a bow or a crossbow etc but i'm just trying to tweak about finding i want to use flavius again just because he survived and basically see his next round in combat and keep him kind of going in it but maybe have someone who's got a crossbow or a bow but i'm trying to find a balance because as i know flavius is quite heavily armored and so if you give someone a really high dex because the 
you basically point build in uh, the fantasy trip if I make them of the same level he probably would struggle to get a weapon that damages Flavius through the armor so I'm trying to find a good balance where his dex is still good enough that he can still shoot Flavius but Flavius won't be immune to the weapons when he gets into close combat and we don't have to do hand to hand well we might do hand to hand again but not necessarily required to do hand to hand straight away yeah so we'll go and see with that one I do want to at some point in time move on to wizard as well and start using some spells um, having picked up on something that was said in the red caps podcast it might be boring just to do two wizards fighting each other but I might try it and if it is boring I might make it up a bit by maybe having wizards and fighters together maybe two teams fighting each other rather than one-on-one to see what happens Um, also I have the option to bring animals in and basically have them fighting bears and wolves and see how that kind of works out for them Um, I can never bring in bears it would have to be a team against the bear bears take a lot of damage to take down they would basically mince a person fighting them on their own it would definitely have to be a team effort against it maybe I can revive Ragnar back to life to help Flavius fight and they can fight together instead of trying to kill each other this time we shall see but anyway that's it for now as always, any comments and questions, feel free to message me. Uh, the Anchor app doesn't work anymore for most people to leave me a message, but you can get onto the website. If you go to anchor.fm slash gmshadow, you can leave me a message on there. I also have a SpeakPipe link, which I shall put in the uh, notes for the show lower down. You can also email me at gmshadow.hotmail.com. I am on Twitter as well at gmshadow and various discords, including the Fancy Trip Discord, the uh, GURPS Discord, and some other ones like uh, we'll play Rescue if you listen to that one Discord as well. That's it for me today this week. Anyway, I shall speak to you again soon. And everyone, please just keep on gaming.